What's up, insiders? Part two of the journey into Abbaology begins now. Abbaology insiders, welcome. This is the Abbaology podcast, and I'm your host and the founder of the Abbaology movement, Jake Stringer. This podcast is dedicated to transitioning people from the judicial to the familial, from theology to Abbaology. This is your home for free Abbaology content. I will be assuming a few things about you. Number one, you're ready. Number two, you're hungry. And number three, you're excited. So come along as we transition from theology to Abbaology. So Grace Revelation, I thought that was the destination, but it ended up being a raft to take me further. And I want to share with you all today each specific point along this journey that's got me where I find myself now, which is Abbaology, um, a totally familial reality with God. And like I say, it hasn't come easily or without years of studying and dozens and dozens of books and time with a concordance and and my Bible and original languages and all of those things, but that isn't burdensome for me. I love to do that. I have the heart of an excavator and I want to get down as close to the truth as I can because really the gospel and even the scriptures to a certain degree are like a street drug. A street drug um, in theory is produced pure, but then at the source it's cut and we'll say it's cut in two and it's sent to two different dealers and then those two dealers cut it again. Now it's in four pieces and they dilute, they begin to dilute the drug. So the potency of the drug, which was once 100% potent and pure, begins to get compromised. So now you've been cut four times and diluted. Then they, they cut it and give it to four more dealers. And now it's been cut 16, 32 times and diluted and diluted. And by the time it gets into the arm of a street drug user, it's probably 5 to 12% pure. And so these English Bibles that we have... Reading an English Bible is not studying. You are digesting a drug that's been cut up and diluted any number of times. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He didn't even speak Greek. Or he, he may have spoken Greek, but he, you know, this, when he was speaking the things we find in the Gospels, he wasn't speaking Greek. He was speaking Aramaic, and his words are recounted by human men and then written in Greek and then translated from Greek to and the you know the the closest to the source material we can get is scrolls that were hundreds of years old and then there's bias that goes into those translations and I don't say these things to discourage you I say these to encourage you to excavate and don't just settle for reading your English Bible because so often even if you just go online and use a Young's, well, you can't use a Young's concordance online, um, but I highly recommend a Young's analytical concordance. But as far as I know, you have to actually buy the book and learn how to use the concordance. But a Thayer's Greek lexicon is better than a Strong's, in my opinion. I think a Strong's has a lot of bias. It's still very useful, um, but a lot of punitive bias um, and original sin bias. And there's a lot of uh, eternal torment bias in in the definitions of the words that isn't in a Thayer's. And even a Thayer's isn't totally perfect, but you're still getting closer to that source material, you know, and 
Honestly, I mean, it's a graphic illustration, but an addict hopes for a pure drug. And I I want my scriptures to, to be as, I want to get them as pure as I can get them. So as this journey progresses, let me just share with you the points along it um, that I have found myself at that have led me here. So the first one, as I said, is a grace revelation. I believe that's the solid ground that we need to build our house on. It gives us that security that we could never obtain or attain to under a performance-based dynamic with God where you're trying to earn right standing with Him, which is basically being under the law. It's being locked into that bondage of legalism. So the first point for me was grace. I thought grace was the whole auditorium, only to realize it's actually just the foyer. Then after grace, I started to learn about sonship. That not only am I a friend of God, I'm a son of God, and he's my father. Um, And then that was in the sense that God's my father, as in he's my dad, and I'm his son, and that he's pleased with me before I do any good works. Like in Luke chapter 3, the father speaks over Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and he speaks that over him before he's done any religious works. So that revelation hit me that... Even in Genesis chapter 1, God made them and he blessed them. It says in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, and that word um, is barak, and it means to bow the knee in adoration. So in a sense, God worshiped man. You know, these things we give God, we only can give him what he's already given us. So that may sound heretical to you, but think about a baby, If you have a grandchild or a child born, who worships who first? And as a parent, are you even needing worship from your child? No, absolutely not. So a revelation of sonship was next. After that came eschatology. And the reason I think this is important is each one builds upon the other and then honestly prepared me for the next transition. And if I hadn't had the previous transitions, then I wouldn't have been able to handle or retain what God was stacking on top of it because he's strengthening our foundations, but he walks us through what we need to be walked through because he's a loving God. He meets us where we are and then leads us along this path. So if you can know before you really start on this journey, if you can know you're not under the law, you don't have to earn righteousness or right standing before God to be as you ought to be. Jesus took care of that, so rest. Let your guilty conscience die, okay? And also that you had his blessing before you did anything good or bad, okay? You're a son or daughter apart from your religious contribution to whatever God's purposes are. That is a solid foundation. The next thing that happened for me was eschatology, the study of last things. Because as you think about how God is only a good God, that you think thoughts like, okay, so I'm preaching this very loving God that's only good. Is he really going to come back in the rapture and just totally change character and wipe everybody out? You know, like Rambo Jesus is coming back to murder two-thirds of the world's population and 
only a barely anybody's going to make it to heaven and then the tribulation's going to be awful and and God's putting the earth through all this and you start to think how is that possible you know Romans 4:15 says the law brings wrath so i used to think to myself well i'm not under the law i'm under grace so where is this wrath coming from in terms of these end times that at that point i still had out in the future so I started to think about eschatology. And the verse that launched me into that was Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, and where it says, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spoke to us through the law and the prophets, but hath, past tense, in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And it hit me that this book is being written in AD 63 to 65. And this writer was saying at that time, in AD 63, that God had spoken through the law and the prophets, sure. But that's past tense. He was then speaking through his son. And he's and he says, in these last days. And I remember shutting my Bible and not going back to this subject for 90 days, for three whole months. The only person I told was my wife. I thought I was crazy. I thought, I can't tell my grace friends this. I'm just sharing some of my journey. I hope that's okay. And then in the middle of the night, I had a friend named, uh, I guess I'll just say his name, Dustin Noseworthy. He had sent me a link to a message by Dr. Lynn Hiles called A Fresh Look at the End Times. And he said, Holy Spirit woke him up in the middle of the night and asked him to send me that link. Said, send this link to Jake. And in the first 10 minutes of that link, I realized I'm not crazy. That guy that wrote Hebrews is definitely believing he lived in the last days. And so that that's the next piece to me after sonship is eschatology. A lot of these New Testament passages and passages in the Gospels start to fall into place because you finally get them on the right place in the historical timeline. And I even t- talk to futurists now people that believe all the the end time stuff is out in the future and say, we probably believe the same stuff about the quote last days. We just have them on a different place on the timeline. The next thing that God led me into after that was the doctrine of hell, eternal conscious torment. The way he led me into that, it was an emotional uh, birthplace or catalyst I was building a fire with my two-year-old son, Harmon, and Holy Spirit asked me, I, I heard him say in my heart, Um, would you throw him in that fire? And I did the obligatory ask Holy Spirit three or four times, is that really what you're asking me? And he said, yes. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, exactly. And that's all that he said. And that led me to another, I went inside, told my wife, didn't, didn't even allow myself to go into it for another 60 days because I knew this study was going to be another game changer. It was going to require me to trust Holy Spirit to follow him yet again, potentially lead to relational disassociation yet again, which had happened on a pretty grand scale when I shifted my eschatology. Um, But each time God had new family for me waiting and a few that really love me would survive each transition. (laughs) And I realized that a lot of friendships were really based on agreement doctrinally, which isn't really a friendship because friendship transcends agreement. After eternal conscious torment, it was original sin. I started, I remember one day I was reading Romans 5.12, which says that sin came into the world through one man. And that that phrase just jumped out at me. And I thought, oh my gosh, sin entered the world, not man. 
And then I started thinking about all these passages, how even in Genesis chapter 4, which is actually the first time we see sin mentioned, it's outside of Cain. God said it's crouching at your door. It's outside of him. It's not something intrinsic to who he is. If, if Adam, if everyone born after Adam is inherently sinful, then that would mean Adam is God. That would mean that Genesis 3 is more powerful than the blessing God gave humanity. That word Adam in the Hebrew means humanity, mankind. He gave mankind his blessing apart from their performance in Genesis chapter 1. And so that led, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. The study of that doctrine, same thing with eternal torment. The study, how did it infiltrate the Christian church? How did that get there? And with each study of these major fear-based doctrines, I found myself getting more and more and more intimate with Abba because fear and intimacy can't coexist. So we have to go after the fear-based doctrines. This whole time I was pastoring and teaching this stuff once I got solid on it and really felt like Father wanted me to teach it in church. And we went from 180 to 60 people uh, between teaching eschatology and eternal torment. And then at that point, it was like, all right, well, the next elephant in the room, the next sacred cow is original sin. And so once I got solid on that, that's just how I'm wired. I I like to liberate people and these fear-based doctrines. I'm driven by people walking intimately with Abba. Okay? Now imagine you in a in an earthly family dynamic attempting to be intimate with your father if you if you knew that your father was burning your sibling alive forever okay you there's a there's a wall there all right so we're tearing down walls and building sound structures okay and then once that's out of the way i started to realize oh my gosh i think this whole time right under my nose has been this revelation of abba and, and really, the hunger in our heart is for intimate and experiential knowledge and relationship with our origin, male and female origin. God made male and female, and even a man can operate in the masculine and the feminine, and a woman can be operating in the masculine and the feminine. And so our origin is this loving Abba, and he's beautiful, and he's pleased with us, And he wants to burn away the wood, hay, and stubble of a lot of these fear-based doctrines so we can finally get him out of the courtroom. He wants self-liberation from the courtroom. And we can transition from judicial to familial once and for all. And then we have hearts full of maturity and grace looking back and seeing people we love that we're in relationship with um, that maybe people that are just acquaintances that'll reach out to us. We have so much grace backwards because we've been at those points on the journey. I've found that people struggle to have grace forwards. Uh, It's not totally impossible, but it's fairly rare. It's only great, I mean, Christians generally, grace backwards is easier for us. (laughs) So I know that was a little longer, um, but I wanted you all to know a little bit more about me and this journey and why I'm so passionate about these building blocks and these transitions. Remember what you feel like is a destination 
enjoy it right now, fully enjoy it, but realize it's going to end up becoming apparent that it's a raft to take, to take you to the next destination. And Holy Spirit is very smart about how he builds your foundation and begins to stack things on top of it. God bless you guys. Like uh, and subscribe and review if you haven't already. That would really help the podcast. God bless. God bless.